With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Later on in June, we will do a bunch of satellites. Where, I'm not sure, but what we've talked about so far is getting to California, getting to Texas, getting to uh, Atlanta, and getting to Florida. Now getting in the door there is the hard part, how we're going to associate ourselves. We're still figuring that part of it out, but we've got a bunch of opportunities right now. Yeah, and I think we were kind of on the front of that thing. Um, We did it three years ago when there weren't many schools doing it. Um, and we, I think we had six or seven commitments from, we just did one camp in LA and it was awesome. Now the past couple of years, it's gotten harder and harder. You know, you're competing against other schools on each of these weekends or during the week. So that, that's gotten harder and harder. Ah, the theme of the week, satellite camps. As you hear Ryan Gunderson, Nebraska's player, director of personnel, talking about Nebraska hosting their own satellite camps. That was back in January when uh, we sat down with them. Welcome to another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppin. And that's where we're going to start our show off here today. Uh, we're out of spring football, so obviously the practice storylines and things like that have slowed down a little bit. Uh, but the big story, I think, uh, this week has been just the talk of the satellite camps. And we've known, Nate, that Nebraska was going to do these for quite some time. Um, but I think the, the more the SEC people complain about it, the, the bigger this story has become. Nick Saban, um, you know, you, you hear them all um, because the SEC does not allow coaches to do these satellite camps. And what they are basically is you're brought in as a guest coaching staff to work at a Division two, Division three, an AIA school, even a one double A school as guest coaches. And Nebraska plans to do an entire week of satellite camps, possibly in six different locations. Yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting uh, to see Nebraska finally take you know take advantage of this opportunity uh, of you know of, of sending their coaches down to these talent rich areas and and being able to evaluate these players and uh, it, it is interesting to see the SEC coaches get so fired up about it and talk about uh, you know Big Ten schools or, or all these other schools having an unfair advantage when um, they don't always necessarily play by the rules of themselves but uh, by and large you know it, it's pretty exciting to see that this is finally taking place it takes a lot of hard work to uh, you know establish a connection as Gunderson mentioned you know you have to find a, a partner uh, to run these camps with and and so far Nebraska's partnered up with Georgia State and uh, Valdosta State in, in the Atlanta area and, and they'll be running their camps on June 15th. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. Um, we know Houston and Dallas are going to be um, a combination uh, at a location. Uh, Atlanta, as you mentioned, New Orleans. I know they're looking at South Florida, Miami, and then L.A. Um, so they're, they're going to try to do five or six in a row. And when I've talked to Ryan Gunderson about this, he said they will have everybody. Like they will travel over 20 people including head coach Mike Riley, which um, they just recently allowed head coaches to go back out on the road for these, which is a huge deal because coaches can't go out on the road typically 
um, until they make in-home visits, which only they they're only allowed to do that you know one time per prospect. Um, so this is a big deal that um, the head coach can get out there. But you know, realistically, Nate, can you get guys? I know last year Penn State didn't get anybody off their satellite camp. So is this much to do about nothing, or do you really see Nebraska having a shot to maybe find two or three kids out of these camps? I think there's a lot of benefits uh, that will come out of it. And, and first and foremost, what you want to see is you know Nebraska landing you know commitments out of this. So. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of good that can come out of it. I, I think that there's a chance that they can find players, and whether it's going to be 2016 guys, 2017, or evaluating, you know, or identifying other, you know, uh, younger younger prospects. Uh, but maybe the most important thing is just identifying these talent-rich areas, getting down into those places, and, and establishing your brand, being able to to get FaceTime with these coaches and with these kids. And becoming more of a relevant, you know, program down in those down in those places. And the satellite camps in the Pac-12 are a lot more common. You know, you saw Colorado doing them in L.A. as you heard Gunderson mention, and Oregon State had done them a lot. Um, I think it's in the Big Ten where this has become relatively new. Penn State last year went to Georgia. Uh, Michigan has released their schedule, and it's unbelievable how many spots they're going to go. I'd like to know, though, are they going to have their entire staff at everything? I'd assume so because Jim Harbaugh has been advertised on their Twitter profile, and Nebraska's is going to be like that. So I'll be curious if Urban Meyer launches something like that, if they, you know, some of the bigger brands. You know, I can't see like an Iowa or Michigan State. It's not for everybody, I, I think, it, you know. And there's a lot of places that don't necessarily need to do it. A, a Notre Dame, for example, they draw a ton of uh, prospects to their own campus, so they don't necessarily need to go out and, and you know uh, to these you know into the south or, or to the west coast and, and have these types of, of deals. They they could, and it would be beneficial probably, but it's not absolutely necessary. Uh, it's programs like Nebraska that that really need to take advantage of this and and really take the take the the visit to the kids instead of trying to get the kids you know up to Lincoln. So um, that's that's the big thing. And they there will be two weeks of camps this year at Nebraska, uh, highlighted by two Friday night lights events. I believe it's June fifth and June twelfth are the two uh, Friday night events, and uh, they've lowered the prices this year. They're all fifty dollars, so they're gonna probably get more kids in. The price is definitely less. Um, you're not going to get those fantasy campers, the kids that came to camp just to kind of go live in the dorms and uh, you know pretend like they're a student at Nebraska for a few days. So it is a different approach, uh, but it will be interesting to see just how that goes. I think it will go better. Um, that's just my my take. Knowing how much these camps cost now, when it was three or four hundred dollars, uh, you just were missing out on a lot of guys. Absolutely, I talked to a bunch of coaches actually this past weekend in St. Louis when I was in town for the Rivals Combine, and they told me. Uh, how excited they were about the new format at, at Nebraska and how how affordable it was going to be and how it was going to make it you know more likely for their players uh, to be able to get there and for the coaches to to hit Nebraska on on their tour or their circuit of, of camps that a lot of these guys do they can stop by and and you know spend the day there for fifty dollars and afford to do that uh, so I do think it's going to draw a number of more kids and and a number of more prospects which is really what you want you want to get you know potential 
recruits on campus to be able to evaluate them. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and you know Mike Riley was in Washington, D.C. this week. He was out meeting with Nebraska's delegation, the, the two senators and the three congressmen. Um, he's been out on the road busy, uh, still kind of waiting, guys. I'm, I'm going to bring in Robin Washett now and Dan Hoppin. Um, the, the roster attrition, you know, I, there's only two weeks left here in the semester. I believe dead week is next week, and then finals week is the first week of May. Um, so there, we're expecting some attrition to take place. Um, one guy you would think that's moved up that radar is Bose Joseph after um, his citation with marijuana this past week. Um, and that will be interesting to see kind of where he falls. He was kind of buried on the depth chart. Uh, but the attrition will be interesting to see um, kind of what direction things go. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can go with that, too. You know, obviously, Bose Joseph uh, didn't help his cause. I mean, I think just from a football standpoint, he was kind of at the bottom of the barrel there. It seemed like anytime a receiver was making a good play in practice, it was against Bose Joseph. So uh, I think that's uh, the, the strike, too, uh, is certainly uh, not not uh, working out in his favor, uh, you know, regardless of kind of your your take on what he did but uh i think the other guys you know obviously johnny stanton's got a lot of rumors about kind of what his future is going to be here uh, with the way that quarterback competition shook out and um kind of his role in that spring game um you know riding on the wall again for another guy but um you know it's hard to speculate just because you don't know what's going on in these closed door meetings you know with players and coaches and kind of where guys stand and kind of their their personal viewpoints about their you know potential careers here at nebraska yeah, like Robin said, you know, you don't want to speculate too much on, on these kids because it is their future we're talking about and everything. But, you know, an, another guy you might look at is uh, Mauro Bondi. I mean, this is a scholarship kicker who hasn't had, you know, the kicker job for his first three years on campus. He got beat out by a freshman last year. Now you got a new special teams coach who might have some different philosophies. So I think those are a couple names to at least watch. But once again, you know, just want to make sure we're being careful here. You know, don't want to speculate too much this is all just talking right yeah now. and i think marl bondi if you were to kind of have a vegas odds board he would probably be at the top of the board <laughs> yeah. right now uh, just based on watching practice um this spring he didn't get very many kicks at, at all if mm-hmm. any and he, he looked pretty mentally checked out i think he's going to get his degree and you would think he just moves on at that point and he got to go to college for free to do kickoffs i mean <laughs> not a bad deal not a bad gig uh, at that point so um, that will be something to watch here as we move in uh, to the final weeks when we come back here on the huskeronline.com podcast we will shift our focus over to the draft uh, april 30th will be here before you know it as uh, nebraska should have at least one player taken in that first round we'll talk nfl draft next you're listening to the huskeronline.com podcast This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. April 30th is the NFL Draft, as Nebraska should have a number of guys go this year. Welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Watchhead, and Dan Hoppen are two NFL guys on the staff here. They follow the draft and uh, keep track of this stuff, really, as well as anyone uh, amongst Husker uh, Husker people. Uh, Guys, first of all, let's start off with um, Randy Gregory, when when you look at what he's going to do, Dan, I know you've talked to a lot of draft people and experts. Uh, what do you think um, the, the troubles are going to do for him? I mean, is it going to make any impact at all on where Randy Gregory falls? Oh, I think it certainly is going to. I mean, this is a guy that before the combine, you know, in some of those initial mock drafts, you saw him going in the top 10, maybe even the top five. Now talking to a couple people, it sounds more like he might 
be kind of in that lower teen range. I've seen a lot of people kind of slotting him to uh, 13 to the New Orleans Saints or maybe even falling into the low 20s. But um, interestingly enough, in uh, Todd McShay's latest uh, mock draft this week, he had him rising back up to number eight to the Atlanta Falcons. So maybe there's a little bit of, um, maybe that's just McShay's opinion, or maybe there's a little bit of pushback between evaluators kind of saying, okay, this guy might be a little undervalued. Because everyone that I've talked to says, Randy Gregory is the best pure pass rusher in the draft. He's got, you know, you're a little concerned about the weight. You're a little concerned about the off-field stuff. But as far as pure pass rush skills go, he's the best. And it's not just, you know, his athleticism or whatever. Um, one, one of the guys that I talked to said the thing that's special about him is most of the pass rushers in this, in this draft can beat you in one way. Gregory can beat you in three ways. He's got a spin move, a swim move, and he said against some lighter offensive tackles, he can just overpower you. So I think those are the the things that Randy Gregory has going for him, and especially if you have maybe an established um, front office and an established coach who aren't worried about losing their jobs, they might be a little more willing to take a risky pick like Randy Gregory and go for that home run. And Gregory's camp has really done a good job of getting out in front of this whole story, uh, you know, releasing it. They to, controlled the message. Yeah, almost. they controlled the message, and, you know, he did this whole NFL tour where he literally went to every single NFL team and met with them personally. And uh, I think that's going to go a long way in kind of, you know, easing the fears about, you know, this guy and his, you know, character issues or whatever, you know, stigma he may have gotten from that issue. Uh, and, you know, like Dan said, uh, his talent, you can't argue that. And it, if people can just get you know, those fears erased, then I think that there's no reason he still can't be a top 15 pick. In fact, uh, you know, Mel Kuyper, when I talked to him a while back, said that he sees him anywhere from 6 to 13. And, you know, McShay seems to think think the same way. And uh, there are lots more uh, draft experts, quote unquote, that, that are starting to kind of, you know, lessen the uh, the fears uh, that come along with him but uh, you know obviously what he did was I think just more dumb than anything you know I, I think just the the timing of it all was uh, you know I guess it justifiably uh, kind of questioned just his decision making but I think that there's a lot of NFL players that make dumb decisions and uh, for f- far worse extent uh, that still get signed and uh, still play very heavy roles on NFL rosters so uh, I think that people are going to be able to kind of move on from this and he will still be a very high draft pick as we move things along here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. One guy you don't have to worry about character problems is running back Amir Abdullah. And he's somebody that you, you, you've seen really, some people have said late, late first, second round, third round. I mean, he, he could go anywhere because there are a lot of people we know interested in Amir Abdullah. Probably second round, third round is realistic right now. Uh, but you never know uh, based on kind of some of the things we've heard. Well, it's really interesting with him because it kind of feels like they're there are two tiers of running backs in this draft. There's Todd Gurley and uh, Melvin Gordon, who could both potentially be first-round picks. And then there's a cluster of about six or seven guys where you start looking at Indiana's Telvin Coleman, uh, Jay Ajay of Boise State, Duke Johnson, Miami, TJ Yeldon, and Amir's right in that class with those guys. So I think it's kind of, once you get into that group, and it's going to be, like you said, in the second or third rounds, it's kind of going to be beauty in the in the eye of the beholder. Do you want a Lexus or do you want a Mercedes, basically? Exactly. You know, do you want a, a between-the-tackles power runner? Well, then maybe you're going to go for a TJ Yeldon or a Jay Ajayi. Or if you want a quicker guy who can get out on the edge and do some things for you, maybe that's where you look to, um, you know, an Amir Abdullah. So, um I think, you know, he might be more of a change of pace guy to start his career. And, you know, we don't see a whole lot of true 
bell cow running backs in the NFL anymore to begin with. But I think certainly as this guy goes on, I, I think whatever team drafts him, wherever they take him, they're going to be really happy. Because I just, from what we've seen from here, I just can't see him failing. And I think the injuries, you have to look past that. I mean, the game, if I'm a scout, I'm watching the Miami game. That is a Miami team that had, what, eight or ten guys at the combine. Mm-hmm. And the way he ran the ball against that defense and outran the speed of that defense, that's, that's the Amir Abdullah, I think, that you're going to get when he's healthy. And one of the guys that I talked to about Amir, I asked him, you know, is it is it a, you know, a knock on him that he had so many college carries? Because Amir has carried the ball a lot more times than most of these guys. So, you know, I was asking him, is that tread on the tires something that teams worry about? And he said, well, you know, on one hand it can be, but on the other hand, Amir had all those carries and never had a significant injury. So he can bring that back to the table and say, look, I can handle this massive workload. You don't have to worry about me getting injured. I can handle this. Kenny Bell, Nebraska's all-time leading receiver, uh, somebody else that figures to get drafted anywhere from rounds four to seven. Um, that That's kind of a wild card as well where he falls, Robin. But uh, Nebraska's all-time leading receiver, a very productive college player. I think if I had a question is, is he physical enough to get off the right. line? You, you watched him against like Michigan State and – the premier corners like Darquez Denard, um, he had a hard time in those type of games. Yeah, and that's going to be the big question on him because right now I think he just kind of projects as more of a speed guy than anything, and so he's got a lot of work to do uh, to kind of uh, get that that label off of him as a finesse guy. And uh, the good news is that you know maybe he can pop on the highlight film of that Wisconsin uh, Big Ten championship where he absolutely destroyed that defensive back and shows that you know he can get physical at times and uh, he can lay blows just as much. So uh, you know he's he's uh, getting a lot of talk recently i'd say over the past month i've heard his name pop up more than you know we've have ever since you know his the draft conversation started going and uh you know i know he visited with dan's colts so maybe uh, dan can get a, a kenny bell colts jersey here pretty soon i wouldn't count on that <laughs> my question is how long does that afro last in training camp i, I think the veterans oh, are gonna gone, have that it's thing gone off. day one. Oh yeah that'd or be funny. they're just shaved like stripes through it so yeah they'll have some fun with that thing. that afro may not be a long round remember kenny bell did do the spoof where he thought he told people he got rid of yes. the afro uh-huh this time it might be gone <laughs> i think it's gonna be so I, I do think that he has an nfl future and I, like you said it's just going to be a matter of you know him proving that you know he's he's stronger and more physical than what his frame might let on and two quick r- real quick notes on kenny here a he's a proven commodity on special teams which if you're going to be a mid to late round pick that can really As help a return you. guy yes but yeah good uh good he can point. play gunner though yeah, he's, and, he, and he, he has. He's done it before, mm-hmm. and he's good at it. And also, this is a guy who really um, no one was talking about, had very little buzz at all before the combine, and he came out and had a really impressive combine. Not just 40 time, but you talk about the vertical leap, some of the adri- agility drills. He really impressed, and he kind of put his name on some draft boards with that performance. It's just hard to be a receiver from Nebraska. Mm-hmm. In the history of the program, there have only been a few draft picks. Bobby Newcomb. Uh, Niles Paul, Irving Fryer, Irving Fryer being the, the gold, back. the gold standard. Uh, he was the top five pick. He was the number one, number one, number one overall yeah. pick. So you know you don't have a lot of draft picks in the program's history at receiver. Um, Quincy Nunwa just recently was one. Um, so to have two in, in the last couple of years, I mean that that's really uncharted waters for Nebraska. It really is, and part of that I think you know you kind of have to look at the the offenses that Nebraska's run, obviously, and even these past couple of years as as they have passed more, you still haven't necessarily seen um, consistently that accuracy. You know, if Kenny Bell was in an offense 
like Oregon State's where he's got a Sean Mannion who's completing 63% of his passes thrown in the ball, he's probably got a couple of thousand yard seasons under his belt, you know, as opposed to topping out at seven or 800 yards. Yeah, durability to me will be his question. Uh, just can he play 16 games of that level? And guys, a couple other names uh, as far as late draft picks, high priority free agents, Corey Cooper, Zaire Anderson, I think those would be the top two. I don't know if any of the other seniors like a Mike Mowdy or a Jake Cotton would fall in that category. I mean, they might get into a camp, but I would say as far as the high-priority guys to watch, Corey Cooper and Zaire Anderson would be the two. Yeah, after that, those top three, I think probably Cooper maybe has the best chance to end up getting drafted. And if he does, it'll probably be you know certainly a day three pick and probably a seventh rounder. Uh, somebody's going to take a late flyer on him just because he is physically uh, NFL ready. You know, I mean, he's he's kind of that that hybrid type safety linebacker that uh, you know a lot of teams like to kind of toy around with. And um, you know, I think he showed well at the Senior Bowl uh, when he finally was able to kind of put his skills on display. But you know, Zaire Anderson, I just think he's too undersized and uh, the injury issues with him. Uh, I just, I just don't know. I mean, maybe he makes it on as an undrafted uh, rookie. But uh, like you said, I think after, you know, those top three and Corey Cooper, uh, there may not be uh, very many Huskers called on draft day. For both those guys, it's going to come down entirely to special teams. If they can't prove themselves in camp as guys who can be contributors on special teams units, they won't be making a roster. However, if they can, you know, we've seen tons of guys in the past who, you know, you just go out there, you prove yourself on, you know, return units or coverage units, and maybe three or four years down the line, once, you know, you kind of adapt to the NFL a little bit more, maybe you get a chance to actually play on defense or make a contribution on one side of the ball. So it's going to all come down to special teams for those two, at least initially. First round of the NFL draft is Thursday next week, and then second and third round will be on Friday, and then they'll wrap things up with rounds four through seven on Saturday. Make sure to stay on Husker Online all throughout the week. We'll have preview coverage of the draft as well as coverage throughout the draft itself. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. When we come back, we will talk more Nebraska basketball in the week that was with Tim Miles and Teron Petaway. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I mean, Nebraska showed me, I mean, like I said, they uh, welcomed me into the family with open arms when nobody knew who I was. You know, Coach Miles and Coach Smith gave me a second chance, you know, when I was a nobody. So I, it was definitely hard making that decision. And I just want to thank everybody from Nebraska, you know, for showing me so much love, especially during the time when I lost my mom. It, it's been unbelievable, man, and I, and I love it here. I said, let's talk about staying first. I said, you, you'll be a Hall of Famer. You walk out of here a Hall of Famer. If we go back to the NCAA tournament, and you're a three-time All-Big Ten player and you're wherever in the career points, that's a Hall of Fame career. You've had a great career now, uh, and you have really um, sparked Nebraska basketball and put us on a map, and I'm forever indebted to that because he bet on us when we were selling you know, pipe dreams. And that was Nebraska head basketball coach Tim Miles talking about the decision of Teron Petaway. He kind of had a state of the program season wrap-up press conference on Tuesday addressing a number of topics and out of the gates they talked about Petaway and Petaway uh, came to the presser as you heard there and gave his reasonings for leaving Nebraska um, and for going his senior season for the draft welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast Sean Callahan Robin Washett and Dan Hoppen as we shift the conversation over to hoops and you know, I think Tim Miles makes some good points, guys. And, Robin, I'll start with you. Uh, when when you look at Petaway, I think we got so caught up in the hype two years ago. This past year, um, you know, there was a lot of ups and downs where I think you forget about the body of work this guy did and, and what he helped Nebraska basketball become. It was one of the most productive two-year 
spans that we've seen in Nebraska basketball in a long, long time. And I think uh, unfairly, uh, Teran Petaway got a lot of the blame for the struggles they had last year. And just because, you know, he kind of was the face of the team and uh, people knocked him for his shot selection and, you know, his body language, which, you know, to to an extent that was fair. But at the same time, I don't think he got enough credit just because of the success Nebraska did have. Uh, it was really Teran Petaway, you know, doing a lot of it on his own just because he didn't have a lot of help. Uh, you know, Siobhan Shields had the worst year of his career. Walter Pitchford was absent all season long. Uh, Terrence Smith was okay at times. And really outside of that, there was no one else. And, um, you know, you, you look at the numbers. I mean, his, his, the fact that his numbers were better than they were when he was a first-team All-Big 10 selection, um, you know, Tim Miles is right. If he would have come back for his senior year and, you know, put up those same type uh, of statistics, I think you're easily talking about him not only as a program Hall of Famer, but as one of the top 10, maybe even top five scorers in program history to despite only being here for three years. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what Terran Petaway's legacy looks like in five years because, you know, you look at this uh, recruiting class that Nebraska has coming in with, you know, a lot of high-profile names, and I just look at some of those guys and I wonder, do they even consider Nebraska if the Huskers don't make the NCAA tournament last year? You know, Petaway played a big part in that. Exactly. Without Terran Petaway, this team does not make the NCAA tournament last year. I don't think they're even close. So... You know, you kind of look at that and and maybe, you know, in a couple of years, uh, the program will be where it is now. But if it is able to make that ascent, I think you can kind of start looking back at, you know, some of these first miles recruiting classes and saying you can see Terran Petaway's fingerprints all over him because without him, they're not having that early success in miles tenure. He can't sell the program like he did to some of these incoming recruits. And then, you know, it doesn't have the kind of forward momentum that we've kind of seen uh, under Miles in the past couple of recruiting cycles. I'm very intrigued, guys, just looking ahead um, because you've got two rivals, top 150 guys in Ed Morrow and Glenn Watson. You know, Jack McVay is a, a bona fide shooter. I was uh, with Matt Davison uh, this week, and we had a long car ride, so we had a lot of time to talk about a lot of different things. And, you know, he, he said McVay um, is going to be a knockdown three-point specialist. And, you know, Robin, is there some concern, though, with him in the Chris Harriman situation? Is McVeigh still 100% signed and sealed to, to be here, even with the departure of Harriman? Oh, yeah, 100% locked in. You know, not only did he sign his letter of intent, but uh, he tweeted out shortly after the Harriman news, uh, you know, became, you know, publicly known that uh, he was all in hashtag Huskers so uh, I think that that should clear up anything you need to know about him he's you know obviously Harriman is the only reason he really even considered Nebraska uh, but I think when he you know was able to learn everything that this program had to offer and uh, start to build a relationship with coach Miles that uh, that was that was everything he was looking for in his school but they should be much better shooting the basketball. And, should be. Uh, what, what what were they last year ranked towards the bottom? Yeah, I mean, three hundred and fortieth and three point. Name the offensive stat. They were <laughs> towards, the, towards bottom the bottom of the bottom. nation. Yeah, so um, so it should be um, a much improved roster. Well, yeah, and you you know talk about those freshmen. Let's not forget about Andrew White, who's coming in and kind of, you know, I think people need to just be careful with him. Uh, you know, to, to automatically assume he's going to come in and replicate Teran Petaway's numbers from day one. I don't know if it's, it's necessarily fair to him. Yeah, he's an exception player uh, Tim Miles called him the best shooter on the team right now uh, but but still keep in mind that this is a guy that is, has really just hasn't even got his college career off to a start yet you know he, he barely saw any playing time at Kansas and you know he's been able to work hard at, at the things that he thought that his game was lacking over this past year but uh, you know it's just going to take him time to kind of settle into that role as being the number one guy that people are picking him out to be 
I mentioned Chris Harriman uh, taking the job at New Mexico. Uh, that was somewhat of a surprise. Uh, he's taken $30,000 more, will be the associate head coach. Uh, but Tim Miles said it will help him recruit more Aussies out to New Mexico where more of the Australian players like to go west. And that's where his bread and butter is, as he helped Nebraska get Ty Webster and Jack McVay. Robin, any word on what direction Tim Miles will go with this one staff opening? Yeah, you can talk about the you know the character and you know how he's going to fit in with the staff and uh, you know the optimism and energy and things like that but really what it comes down to is recruiting and so you got to get a guy that has you know not only a, a strong recruiting ability but you know ties and regions that you you know potentially want to tap into and you know I've, I really haven't heard any names surface as you know legitimate candidates at this point but uh, I think that some things that you might want to look at here is you know uh, what they lost when Craig Smith left a year ago was uh, the the direct connection to the Texas recruiting scene and that you know they obviously got some good players out of there uh, and so I would wouldn't be surprised at all if whoever they get has some sort of southern recruiting ties that can uh, get them back into the state of Texas especially and you know some of those other southern states uh, just because there's so much talent down there that I think Nebraska just like in football could really capitalize on because right now Molinari handles the Midwest mm-hmm. um Kenya Hunter really handles that East Coast mm-hmm. and part. Both of those guys do Chicago as well, too. But, yeah, that, those are their specialties for sure. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, Dan Halpin, as we wrap things up uh, with our hoop segment. Um, Robin, any new movement out there as far as maybe getting a, another addition, uh, whether it's a transfer or a, a late recruit? Yeah, the the one potential, uh, I guess, most likely name that we've seen is the the kid from Brown, the six nine power forward slash center, uh, Rafael Maia. M A I A. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that name just yet, but uh, you know, he's, a, he's a grad transfer guy that could come in, uh, play right away. He's had an in-home visit with Tim Miles on Wednesday, uh, and so we'll see if that leads to an official visit for him to come to Lincoln. Well, make sure you stay on Husker Online as we cover the search for a new assistant coach with Chris Harriman leaving and also Nebraska possibly adding a, a late transfer or a recruit. When we come back on the program, we'll talk Nebraska baseball as the Huskers have a huge Big Ten series coming up this weekend with Iowa. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Nebraska baseball on the road, Dan. Just three home games left to go uh, this season, but they'll be in Iowa City for a humongous conference series. Really, you look at the final four uh, conference series left for Nebraska. They've got one against Iowa and one against Illinois that are really going to kind of give you an idea of where they fall in that conference tournament and what seed they're going to be. Today, Nebraska would be the seventh seed, uh, which is hard to believe. Their RPI is number 18, uh, which is, I believe, uh, the second highest in the Big Ten, only behind Ohio State, who's number 13. Uh, But they are the seventh seed going into the conference tournament. This is a weekend, though, where they can make some ground. You really have to shoot for maybe two out of three in Iowa City. Oh, yeah, and that's going to be very tough sledding, especially on the road. You know, it's funny because if you looked at this series at the beginning of the year, this is not one that you would have circled on your calendar for any reason. About six weeks ago. <laughs> no, no. Iowa was just not expected to to be nearly this strong. And, uh, you know, even about, uh, you know, like you said, a month, a month and a half into the season, um, I, I would kind of play a patty cake non-conference schedule. We didn't know what to think of them. Well, they've come right into conference play and they've continued winning. So this is this is a huge weekend for Nebraska because they've kind of had some stumbles in conference play, you know, losing uh, 
a pair of extra inning games this past weekend against Ohio State, getting swept up at Maryland, those things really hurt you. And they kind of – Nebraska's just 6-6 six and six in the conference. They're a little bit behind the eight ball. This – if they could go to Iowa City and take two or three, that would be absolutely huge. Yeah, because in a perfect world, you would have liked to have gotten two out of three against Ohio State and yes. at least one at Maryland. I mean, mm-hmm. you can accept a series loss, but not a sweep. And hopefully, you know, in a perfect world, you would have liked to sweep against Minnesota, too, at home. I mean, that's one of the worst teams in the conference. Sweeping is always difficult, but a home series against one of the worst teams, you kind of hope to get. And I think when the committee looks at things, whether you're a one or two or a three seed, very, very few one-seeded teams get swept by anybody. Yeah, and I think that will go against Nebraska. Um, where D1Baseball.com this week had Nebraska as a high three seed playing in a regional with Missouri and Missouri State, which we'd be okay with that because that means the travel would be a lot easier for you to get down. Yeah, to I'd be Columbia just fine with that. Or Springfield, Missouri. Uh, but I think it's all about the draw, and it's we've got a lot of time uh, for that to play out. And Nebraska, Dan, I, I think when you look at their record, they're thirty and thirteen. The hidden element to that record has been the success of the midweek. Nebraska is 11-1, I believe, on the year in midweeks. Their only mm-hmm. loss was to Cal State Fullerton, and they easily could have won that game and been 12-0. and Garrett King has become the Tuesday night ace of the Big Ten um, with the way that kid has thrown the ball. But just put into words how big Nebraska's play in midweek has been this year. Well, it's been absolutely huge, and this is something that Nebraska hasn't had in previous years. Um and uh, a lot of that credit goes to Garrett King because he's finally given them a fourth starter, a guy that um, doesn't go on a weekend, but he can come out on a midweek game and he can give you, you know, five, six, seven really solid innings. I mean, Garrett King has been fantastic so far this year. I think next season he's going to have a chance to be Nebraska's Friday or Saturday night starter. He's been that good. Um and, and that's just totally changed, you know, what Nebraska can do in these midweek games that allows them to go kind of, with more of the bullpen approach on those Wednesdays and not have to worry about wearing out their guys so much. And that's why they've been able to pump up their record so much. You know, we were talking about how they've struggled in conference play, yet their RPI is still incredibly high because they've won a lot of these midweek games. Um, and, and a lot of that is due to the to the pitching and, and to Garrett King. you got to give him credit. And this week, Nebraska beat Kansas State 10-4, to and they swept the Wildcats this year in the, in the two games they played. Just one more midweek game left to go. Nebraska will play Creighton at TD Ameritrade Park uh, next week, right? Yes, on Tuesday. So they'll have a Tuesday night game with them. But Garrett King only pitched four innings um, in that win over Kansas State because the thought was they are going to need him for this weekend in Iowa City. Does that mean he's kind of a long relief option if things go wrong on Saturday or Sunday? Yeah, he definitely could be. Um, we actually saw him come in this past weekend on on Sunday in extra innings. He came in and got the final two outs of, uh, of Sunday's game. Nebraska wasn't able to complete the comeback, but he came in and didn't give up any more runs. And I think that's where you're kind of starting to see. You know, we talked about how important the midweeks are. Well, now the midweeks, they're almost gone. That Creighton game is the last one. So now – you know, a guy like Garrett King, maybe instead of saving him totally for that Creighton game, you start saying, we need to get some wins in the Big Ten tournament. You know, if, if you blow through a couple of your top relievers in the first couple days and uh, and maybe Derek Burkamper kind of struggles again in his start like he has recently on Sunday, you know, maybe Garrett King is a guy that you turn to a little earlier and say, hey, you know, can you give us three or four innings today? We're not going to worry so much about Tuesday. we got to win conference games now. And this weekend, Iowa 23-11, and 
10 and 2 in the conference. Nebraska 30 and 13, 6 and 6. So the Hawkeyes have a commanding four-game lead over the Huskers uh, as as they go into this weekend. Dan, uh, game one Friday is at 6:05. Saturday, 3.05, and then Sunday, 1.05. No television uh, coverage for any of those games. Good work, BTN. Which is a bummer. Uh, You'd like to see that game uh, because Iowa does play their spring game on Saturday, so you would think the TV crew could just kind of move on over and and do the baseball game, but they're not going to have any available over-the-air broadcast for those three games, which arguably I think will be one of the bigger series in modern-day Iowa baseball history as far as crowds go. Um, Iowa has been drawing, you know, I think they've gotten over 2000 a few times and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they had over 3000 or more on Saturday uh, with the spring game kind of going right up after the, uh, the baseball game. Oh, absolutely. And I think there'll be some Husker fans that get out there too. I mean, Husker fans will definitely add to that attendance. I remember, uh, listening to some games on the radio earlier in the, the year. Maryland game. Yeah. Cool. The Maryland. Yeah. That, that was a great point. I think there was a couple games down in UNLV where if you were just listening to that radio broadcast and you had no idea where it was, you would have thought it was in Lincoln because every time Nebraska did something good, you heard a lot more cheers um, in that direction than you did when either Maryland or UNLV would do something. So, uh, you know, maybe the the excitement around the program might have cooled off the past couple weeks as Nebraska, you know, had that the shine off of that winning streak that they had has gone off a little bit but I still think there's going to be plenty of fans in Iowa City this weekend uh, and it should make for some great crowds some great atmospheres it should be interesting because Nebraska you would not say this very often but I think they go in as the underdog this weekend mm-hmm. where most people would say the Hawkeyes will probably get to a three if you just looked at uh, the records but you know I think Erstad will have these guys ready and it should be interesting to watch they really need Sinclair though to give them a good outing Friday night oh yeah absolutely every Everything starts and ends with him um, kind of setting the tone for the weekend. He's done a very good job of that this year. I think also for the bats, you know, to score 10 runs against Kansas State, you know, even if it is just a midweek game, just to see some of those hits fall in that they didn't see against Iowa State, I think could do a Home lot. Home runs. Their, yeah, that could do a lot for their confidence. Well, it should be a great weekend. Make sure you stay on HuskerOnline.com. We'll have full coverage of the full three-game series. And obviously, Tuesday night, the big game with Creighton. When we come back on the program, we will wrap things up with Nate Klaus, and we will talk Husker recruiting. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. And we shift back over to recruiting earlier in the show. We talked about satellite camps and kind of what lies ahead for Nebraska here this summer with the different events. Uh, We're now going to move back over to recruiting talk as Nebraska sits in the middle of the spring evaluation period, Nate. And really in recruiting, this is as busy of a time uh, as you're going to see um, just because you've got five, six weeks with the coaches out on the road and they're able to get a lot of activity and, and a lot of face time uh, at several different places. When you're, you're seeing kids who are going to be seniors next year, but you're also uh, evaluating you know sophomores and juniors to be as well. And, and you're, you're able to, to get your eyes on a lot of different players, especially you know with these spring practices and everything. So uh, yeah, it is a tremendously busy time for the for the coaching staff, and uh, and it's an important time to establish those connections too. Because I think what you saw last year with uh, the way that Polini's staff, you know, started out of the gates so hot with recruiting, that was because they had established you know a good relationship with all those guys uh, for well over.
over a year. And, and a lot of that, you know, starts either right now in the spring or even going back to, uh, you know, uh, January and December, you know, when you're closing up the, the your, your recruiting class. And the rules now are a little bit different than they were maybe five years ago. Head coaches still can't go out. That's been a rule for um, the last several years. Uh, but you can have up to nine coaches out on the road and you're just allowed a, a certain amount of days total, right? Is that how it works? Yeah, you you. It used to be that you had a uh, four weeks, a four work period out of six weeks uh, to be out on the road. Now you can be out uh, an entire, you know, six weeks, you know, from April fifteenth through the end of May. Uh, but you're allowed uh, e- evaluations or, or contacts. So I think it's 168 contacts, and you can split those up amongst your entire coaching staff however you want. And, uh, and, you know, it, it takes a lot of planning, uh, the, the logistics involved in having all your coaches, coaches out on the road at the same time, you know, seeing players that you've already offered um, and, and offering new targets that you're hearing about. Um, you know, it takes a lot of planning, a lot of work, uh, but, you know, they've, they're, they're managing quite well and they've been keeping us very busy. And it comes out to about 19 days per coach, and that's if all nine coaches were out 19 days. And not every coach is going to go out 19 days so you can get pretty creative and really utilize a full six weeks or before I felt like when you had that four-week period you really had to go grind mode for four weeks yeah and I think a lot of times um, maybe you you missed the you, you know you miss some things there when when you when you had to fit so much into a small amount of time now you can kind of take your time and, and hit certain spots um, and and kind of plan out okay uh, you know Florida's spring practices are, are really big at the beginning of, of May so uh, we can really concentrate on you know California and Texas right now and then hit Florida here in a couple of weeks or, or you know adjust where your coaches are going to be at and and you know who they're seeing and, and uh, things of that nature this is the Husker online podcast John Callahan Nate Klaus we're talking Nebraska recruiting and uh, one of the big questions still Nate with this class for 2016 is quarterback and what direction Nebraska goes and they've obviously missed out on some of their top targets early on and these are some of the top quarterback names in the country four and five star type guys but this past week we saw Nebraska get pretty active again in the quarterback recruiting market. Yeah, and arguably the most important, you know, position in each recruiting class is is that quarterback, and and, and oftentimes that that quarterback is kind of the ringleader and things that really spark your class. So, uh, in having not signed one last year, it's even more important the, this year. And the three targets that they had, had offered early on had all committed. So uh, it had kind of everyone was kind of waiting to see, you know, who they were going to offer and when that was going to take place. And it happened this week with an offer out to Patrick O'Brien, six three, two hundred thirty pound, uh, more of a pro style you know uh, pocket passer uh, extremely you know live arm uh, but he's a mobile guy too he's not a complete statue back there he ran for you know 650 yards and, and 13 touchdowns too uh, but he's a very talented quarterback and and it's kind of surprising that he didn't have any offers until Nebraska uh, pulled the trigger um, just the other day and and the other kid is Terry Wilson out of Oklahoma and and he kind of breaks the mold of what you would think a Mike Riley or Danny Langsdorf quarterback is he's he's a, a dual threat quarterback he's an athlete he he runs a 22-1 in the 200 meters I mean that's moving yeah and but he has a live arm um, and it can make the throws and has good feet and and is a good decision maker so uh, I think what we've seen is that you know 
Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf aren't afraid to, to, to get an athletic guy as long as they have, you know, certain, as long as they meet certain criteria as, as far as having uh, a strong arm and being able to make the throws and, and footwork uh, and accuracy, I, I think, are all things that they look for. And how much was the delay maybe that they wanted to get out and just eyeball these guys in person? Because I think a lot of the early offers, the first two or three, they had some in-person evaluations and um, even some, you know, knowledge, uh, real strong knowledge of those quarterbacks. Absolutely. That was huge. Uh, being able to, to see a guy in person, you know, watch him go through a workout and, and read his body language and, and you know, really talk to a coach face-to-face about his kid, you know, because when you can find out a lot about a, a player just from talking with a coach in person and, and kind of seeing, how, you know, what he has to say about a guy and, and how he says it. So uh, there's a lot you can learn in person, and I think that was very important to the staff. And we learned a lot, Nate, as an HOL staff and a rival staff in person this past weekend. You were down in O'Fallon, Illinois, just east of St. Louis for the Rivals Combine. Uh, you and Greg Peterson will be down in Denver at Thomas Jefferson High School this weekend. We will also have the Rivals uh, Quarterback Challenge in Cincinnati where three different Nebraska quarterbacks, uh, Christian Ellsworth, um, Noah Vedra will be there as well, and then um, Alec Cromer. Uh, from Cincinnati or from Beatrice, those three will be down in Cincinnati. Um, so this was, this is a very busy time for you guys. Uh, a couple thoughts out of St. Louis. I know there were a number of in-state kids. Ben Stilley, maybe the most high-profile that has a shot of a Husker offer, but uh, a couple things definitely jumped out over the weekend down in O'Fallon. No doubt, Ben Stilley is uh, a guy who who I definitely think proved that he's one of the better athletes at his position and in, in, in the region. Uh, he certainly looks the part. He measured in at 6'4", 231 pounds, uh, and he was a top performer in the the power push-up, uh, number three overall, you know, strongest guy there. Uh, and he also had a, a nine and a half foot broad jump, which is pretty That's impressive. impressive. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's just a tremendous athlete, and he's a, he's that wrestler. He has that wrestler mentality. So when I talk to him afterwards, he's like, well, I didn't really care too much about how I did. I just wanted to come out and compete. You know, and that's the type of kid he is, very smart. Uh, but there's a number of other in-state kids that did really well. Barrett McDonald had the top overall vertical at the Combine, which is, I mean, he's kind of an underrated guy coming out of Millard South. Uh, but Overall, I think that um, you know what the biggest takeaway I had is that there's a number of really good athletes, uh, if, you know, from Omaha down to Kansas City, over to, to St. Louis to Chicago, right in that corridor. Uh, they, I think if you really spend the time, you You'd know, find them finding those guys, you can find a lot of good players there because there's a lot of good-looking kids out there uh, last Saturday that are good athletes. Now, about 700 worked out in St. Louis, and what this weekend in Denver? What what are you expecting as far as numbers, and maybe give me two or three local names guys that you're going to be watching yeah so there were yeah roughly 700 last week and and that was the numbers were kind of hurt due to the rain and the wet conditions a lot of guys decided not to test out uh we're expecting you know right around the same amount in denver Uh, a couple of guys that i'm really looking forward to seeing are uh, jake heron out of sydney i like him yeah he's a great looking uh prospect and and austin clarkson out of scott's bluff you know two big uh athletic guys out of western nebraska that probably don't get the recognition that that they deserve uh you know across the board but uh tremendous athletes we saw him play at the state basketball tournament very good players uh also very good football players so we'll see what uh, how they kind of stack up against the competition um you know jack stole is a, is a tight end who's supposed to be out at the combine as well that nebraska just offered uh, again another very athletic uh, 6'5 230 pound kid that that can catch and run so uh should be a good group of guys and there's going to be a number of kids that that we don't have any idea about that we that we learn that are really good athletes and i'm going to be 
intrigued on the quarterback deal. This is see what Alec Cromer can do. And I talked to Bob Sexton this week, and I know he's been preparing uh, very hard for this com- or this QB camp in Cincinnati. And then uh, Noah Vedrill has as well. I mean, they have been really, really preparing. Those two guys intrigue me to see what they do on that stage. Now, the weather could be wet out there. I- I've been told that there is a chance of rain, and I feel bad for those quarterbacks because I don't think there is an indoor option for that deal on Saturday out there um, in uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, there's no you know, typically. I don't. I don't know that there are too many. You know, backup indoor options when you when you plan events like this. It's kind of hard to to have an indoor indoor venue on on hold. But uh, you know, you just kind of have to roll with the punches. And and uh, and I think uh, sometimes you can learn a lot about kids. You know, and how they kind of react to the, the the variables or different situations they're put in. Well, Nate, it should be a good weekend. Safe travels out to Denver. Keep Greg out of trouble when you're down there. We'll do a try. <laughs> and looking forward to the coverage. Uh, thanks again for joining us here on another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 